Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Okay, I'm ready to go. I've got homemade score bars in front of me, you guys. Okay, Kevin? Okay, can you cook, Kevin, at all? Uh, well, I guess uh, not. Uh, <laughs> on the barbecue. Do <laughs> you do any cooking, Warren? Are you, do you stay at home and cook? Not that much, Jim. No, that's Both not you my, guys, okay. Not my forte. <laughs> Here's two things you didn't know about Hanson and Martin. They're terrible cooks. Let's get on with the show because you're good at that, boys. Here we go. Last Rock. Eighth end, up by two. I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm white. I don't think you are either. Oh, oh. it's clean. Oh, don't oh. kill it, Ben. Don't kill it. Don't kill Line's it. really good. Line's good. Right on the button, guys. Right Last here, guys. stone for Kevin Martin. They want it on the button. The sweepers are watching it. Fans are on their feet. Kevin Martin goes out as a champion. Cuts him to one. He will win his final Grand Slam, taking the Players' Championship. Talk about putting an exclamation mark at the end of a career. All he had to do was cut him down. Kevin Martin can celebrate. He is a champion. On the show today... We want to get both your opinions, Kevin and Warren, on what's happened in the uh, this past week with the uh, Grand Slams and what's going to happen with the Worlds. Uh, we'll talk about that. Loved what happened with a bunch of swearing, Kevin, that went on on the mics. A lot of people complained about it. I loved it. I thought it was the real side. Uh, some of our fans on Facebook have suggested that uh, maybe having stopwatches is a little bit like cheating or a bit of an advantage. Like, you know, in golf, you're not allowed to use the... The yardage finders, maybe they should get rid of that. We'll talk about that. And, um, of course, we've got a fantastic guest coming on. Anil Hasseborg is going to join us later on in the show. And, Warren, you're going to give us an update on what's going on with the Facebook group. Let's go to you first, Kev. What do you take away from the week? And it was good. Yeah. Oh, boy. The Well, the last two events, the Humpty Champions Cup and the players, absolutely fantastic. The players... It's, it really is the best against the best. And in, in uh, Bruce Mowat's uh, final uh, interview after he won, uh, he was really outspoken about what it means to win the players because of the names that are on the trophy in the past. Uh, yeah, I mean, the Players' Championship is the one you look to each year. You play the slams and um, regardless of what event you're playing, you're always kind of building up to this one. And uh, to win this just feels amazing because of the people that are on that trophy. So I'm so excited to be part of that. Well, Bruce, uh, you know, I've been following your team for a number of years, and I just noticed that... And I think that's really important uh, for people to understand the, the best against the best concept when you're a player, when you compete, understanding that to win this Players' Championship, you have to beat all the very best teams in the whole world. There's no free spaces on the bingo card. And I think that's really important. And he said it. I would like to talk just to, I just got the ratings for the uh, men's final, which was a heck of a game between uh, Mowat and, of course, uh, Brad Gushu in the final. I remember last week I was talking about the Champions Cups, the ratings being up around 9% from the prior two Grand Slams, the one in the Canadian, the Open in January 2020, and the December 2019 Slam, and that it was about 9%. Well, from the last Slam, the Champions Cup, the men's final was up 31.8%. Wow. Unbelievable. I don't know what's going on. Warren and I talked about it uh, after the Scotties, after the Briar, and, you know, somewhere around the, you know, 18 to well one final was down 34 percent for goodness sakes and and what's going on in curling like you know and then i was really nervous about the grand slams so like, oh boy like what are the ratings gonna be anyway so you know what a relief at the end of the champions up going okay all right curling's okay we got a nine percent it's not a huge increase but pretty good and then the men's final and now you know keep in mind it was on all of the sports net stations it wasn't just on 
360 or just on Sportsnet One. It was on, it was on the whole group, but still, um, to go up over 30%, uh, over the Champions Cup number, not going back to January, December. So it was a 30, almost 32% jump from already the 9% jump. Well, I'll tell you what, Kevin, uh, curling is pulling off what other sports aren't. You know, the Masters was way down, uh, you know, hockey and, and, uh, basketball is way down. So way to go curling. Yeah, Warren, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this because I just don't, I see the numbers. They're not fake, like they're real. <laughs> but what's going on? Because the last two Grand Slams have shown incredible growth. Before the pandemic, curling's always been really strong, but 9% growth and then and then an explosion at the men's final this week. I think those last two Grand Slams were exceptional. I looked at the two events. They were the best players in the world uh, in both the women's and men's side, and, and the shot making and playing was outstanding. And I think we saw some pretty exciting things happening. I look at that Mowat team, and they finally came of age. And, man, they're going to be around for a long time. And are they going to be tough to beat? And how they approach the game, uh, everything's calculated. And I'm talking to Al Cameron at Curling Canada. He had an interesting term that he referred to as an intellectual curiosity that these guys approach the game with. Everything's calculated. And we talked to Nick Adine a couple of weeks ago. He takes a very similar approach to how he's he's looking at the sport of curling. And we're seeing with these two young uh, teams, one from Sweden, one from Scotland on the men's side, uh, doing those exceptional things. And I think that's got a lot of people's interest. I know a lot of chatter on, on our Facebook page was uh, pointing out how exceptional that Moat team was playing. And uh, I think to a large degree, that's that's had a lot to do with it. On the women's side, I look as well. And we've talked a lot about uh, Carrie Anderson, but let's not overlook Rachel Holman. Rachel Holman won the Humpty's Cup, and she played in the final the Players' Championship, and this is just uh, a month after giving birth to a child. Uh, so that's a, that's another team that's not in the women's worlds, but, man, they're right up there at the top of the ladder along with Anna Hasselborg and a couple of others. So I thought the, the play was exceptional, and I think to some degree that may be why the numbers are what they are. A bunch of swearing got across on the mics. Can't believe, well, that didn't happen a long time ago, but for some reason it came through, it came through this week. Uh, you've got a little history, Warren, on how all this happened, how the players ended up getting mic'd. Give us your thoughts on all of that, Warren. Well, yes, there was a couple of words that were said that shouldn't have been, but that's not the first time. And, and of course, that's going to happen when you have a hot mic and, and no one should get too excited about it. And hopefully the players don't, because let's talk a little bit about a history as to where this whole idea came from about players wearing mics, because it doesn't happen in many sports. A woman by the name of Joan Mead worked with CBC. She was originally a director back in the early 80s, and she became the producer of CBC Television Curling back around 1985-86. Joan was in that role until 2000 when she very suddenly in January of that year passed away, unfortunately. But she was the originator of, of a lot of the techniques that are used today in, in televising curling in a way that makes it very unique. And she was the one who decided that back in around 1985-86, wouldn't it be uh, a marvel if we were to get a mic on every player so we could hear what they were saying, what they were thinking? The other thing that started to happen at that time was the handheld camera started getting very close to the players and do very tight shots on their faces. And Joan's comment was back in those days, it's, it, it is now becoming a game of faces versus other sports. You're at a distance. So all of a sudden, people are sitting in their living room. They're like they're sitting right beside the player and they're hearing everything they're saying. And so they're very completely, totally involved with the game, which I think is the secret to why we had had such success with television probably over the last 25, 30 years was because of that innovation. No other sport does it. I question often, why doesn't the PGA Tour start to mic the, uh, the players or at least the caddies? It would add such a dynamic to what they're doing. Maybe to some degree because it's a player-driven operation, they don't want to do it. But uh, hopefully the curlers will never, ever, ever say we don't want to wear mics because that's what's made curling what it is on television. Do you think they'll kick up a little dust this week, Warren? Well, they always have been. I mean, if we go back to when we started this, uh, Curling Canada had to put a mandate, actually a contract, and Kevin will remember the stuff, that the players had to sign an agreement to wear their eye off mic to play. Because initially, no, they didn't want to wear them. And, and, and everybody understands that. But it's, it's what's going to make curling... I think at the world level, go to a huge uh, degree beyond where it is, is going to be this very unique thing about being part of what the players are thinking and saying. Kevin, uh, when you heard all this news this week, you must have thought to yourself, uh, that never affected me. I've never sworn on the ice ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Warren knows that's not the truth. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, it's when you're in the heat of battle, when you're playing hard and, uh, 
you know, something unforeseen happens, you know, and that's where, that's where the sound guy, be it Andrew Stokely uh, with Sportsnet or whoever it might be in charge of sound, you know, if they're sharp, they can predict, you know, if Ben Hebert is going by a guard and just clips it, you might want to shut that mic off because probably something's coming. And so, you know, there's that too, that, you know, there's times when you can expect you might hear something and times when it's a great discussion about strategy or, or the game or whatever the case may be. It was funny. I saw one of the notes from a fan, which is great about, you know, these players should learn to just cover up the mic with their hand. I used to think that worked until a buddy of mine, Bruce Thompson, everybody calls him Sarge. He does, he's done curling for Sportsnet, for TSN, for CBC, for the Olympics, for forever. And uh, I used to cover the mic up thinking nobody could hear. It doesn't help at all. The sound completely comes through if you've got your hand over it or not. So all you athletes out there, you got a mic on, you think that you just cover it up with your hand and and you're good? <laughs> you're not. <laughs> no, no, be careful with that. But anyway, I don't see much of a problem here at all. I think the players, the athletes do need to be careful. You got to realize that, you know, there's junior kids and there's there's older people. There, You know, you've got the wide variety of everyone watching our, our great sport. So, you know, what you should try to make sure what you'd say in your living room with them in the room is what you say on the mic. That's it. And, you know, but, but I totally understand if there's a situation in, in sport where you get a bad break or something, ah, you know, something might come out and, and that happens, but I don't think it's a big deal. It wasn't an overly big deal this week. I don't think. So there are some funny stories about RF mics. Before we leave this topic, I should tell you what I think was probably the funniest one of all time. And we may have talked about this before. It was actually before the days of RF mics, but it was a, a camera mic that picked this up. So uh, back in the day, Oris Milischuk had just won the Canadian World Championship, and Vera Pezer, great female curler who was a four-time Canadian champion, I think had won her fourth Canadian championship. So it was decided it was probably the time to have the best women's team in Canada play the best men's team. So in the CBC Curling Classic, in the first round, Vera Pezer was drawn against Oris Milischuk. And it was one tough battle. It was back and forth, back and forth. But after the eighth end, I believe Meliszczuk was up one and uh, thought maybe he was kind of in control. So he slides back to the backboard and his third Dave Romano standing there and Royce leans over and says, I think we got him by the balls. <laughs> 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 but they didn't because they lost the game. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Uh, you can't write it, man. You can't write it. Uh Beautiful. You never, you never swore, Warren. Did you on the ice? You weren't. You're not that competitive. I don't think there was no RF mics in those days, uh, Jim. Good thing. I know. I've had <laughs> meetings with you. Okay. I know. I, you're you're lucky there were no RF mics. <laughs> always pretend the mic is hot. Always, always, always. Absolutely, uh, Warren. Is there any legs to this story? Uh, some of our Facebook fans have suggested this week that. Golf doesn't allow pros to use a, a GPS or a yardage finder, you know, the, that picks up the pin, or any electronic device uh, to aid in knowing distances. So why uh, are the top-level curlers allowed to use stopwatches? Stopwatches and curling have been around for a long time. Even back in my era, it was done a little bit in my era. Interesting enough, it was always a timing done from the release hog line to the rock coming to rest. Whereas today, the timing on speed is pretty much done hogline to hogline. But it's become a part of the game. Would it make much difference? Eh, I don't know. Kevin could probably comment on it. It would probably make a little difference. I think that stopwatches come in pretty helpful when they're going to different parts of the ice. But uh, maybe not. What do you think, Kevin? Well, actually, the Elite 10 uh, Grand Slam event, um, at least a couple of years, where stopwatches actually weren't allowed. Couldn't use them at all. And it, it did make a difference to some of the teams that both players, like both sweepers using stopwatches. Now, the, all the kids that come to our academies, we teach them that one person use a watch, the other person use your eye. Judge by looking, by seeing the speed, by where you are in the ice, and, and more a feel type uh, of judging. And I think that's really important because we saw some of the, some of the teams in the Elite 10 when they weren't allowed to use a stopwatch struggle big time because everybody was using stopwatches on the team. Well, it is a game of feel. 
So I, I don't think it'd be a bad thing to have a couple of events where stopwatches aren't allowed, especially at, at a junior age. Having maybe, you know, half of the junior season be without stopwatches at all, I, or at least a few big events. If you start to rely on that, you're, you're kind of losing your, your sight, the sight ability to judge. And the watches don't tell the truth, depending on, to Warren's point, what part of the ice you're in. Uh, you need to know where you are if you're on the outside 12 or if you're throwing across the center line or, or down a straight keen path down the edge of the four-foot circle. So, you know, it depends where you are and uh, as to what the speed needs to be. And certainly you should have one person sweeping for every curling team in the whole world, one person at least using their eye only, not just a stopwatch. But it has been it tried and, uh, and it was amazing. Some of the teams uh, did have trouble. The situation today where that sheet of ice is pretty much consistent from divider to divider, it can be uh, certainly a, a benefit. But back from my era, where particularly in arena ice, you had uh, variations from side to side depending upon frost buildup, and you had to know what that sheet of ice was like, and you had to know where the break points were. And uh, from that point of view, the stopwatch wouldn't have been a lot of good to you. So interesting comment, and maybe it's something that should be tried a little more. Uh, if you're a curling fan and you want to have some fun, Go to our Facebook page and our Facebook group. And thanks to you, Warren, and everyone participating. And, and give us an update, Warren, how this week went with everyone on Facebook. Well, we had lots of activity, as usual, on the Facebook page this week. And I continue to do the daily wraps at the conclusion of each each day of the game. And uh, we will continue to do that next week. And we're finding lots of people are interested in that. So we invite you to become a member and, uh, and, and hopefully enjoy our daily wraps at the conclusion of the Women's World each day. I think, again, we have picked up roughly 100 people new every couple of days. We're up to 4.9 thousand people now, and that's all happened just a matter of two, three months. So come and be a member of our Facebook group and join in the fun and conversation. Warren, I know what I forgot to ask you is what what's the format, Warren, for the Worlds? Can you give us a quick 30 seconds on that? It's a 14-team round robin, just like the men's Worlds, and then six teams qualify uh, for the playoffs. Uh, the top two teams get a a bye to the semifinals, and then the, the next four teams play off in the quarters, and then they are matched with the two people that got the bye to the semis, depending upon ranking. So that's pretty much the way it goes, and once you get down to the four, it's just sudden death to a winner. Okay, fellas, well done. Uh, I don't know if you can hear it, but those are footsteps coming down the hallway. Okay, Anna Hasselborg is going to join us in a few minutes. Uh, let's get to one email. We haven't, we've been, it's been so tough to get the emails, but we apologize. But this, this week, we're going to, right now, uh, hi, guys. I'm just listening to the podcast with Nicholas Adine and was fascinated with Kevin's explanation of how to get the curl on the ice. I had no idea it's all about the rocks. The broadcasters always talk about the ice having so much curl, but it isn't the ice at all. Is that correct, Kev? Or what do you say to that? Well, no. Well, I think she's somewhat right uh, in that the rocks are very, very important and how how they're scratched up, how they're dealt with before the event will have a great bearing on what the ice conditions are like at the event. But in the case of the Players' Championship, had a great talk with Darren Molding. They went for their first practice. They had triple. So remember we talked about maybe doing 80 grit and then putting new paper down before you do, do it again? And then new pay, they did it three times. Team Botcher actually had like a, the afternoon practice, so not one of the first practices or the last, kind of in the middle. And for Carrick to draw the button, they were taking the where the hog line meets the boards. So somewhere 12, 14 feet of curl. It was too much. So anyway, so they just kind of ran the rocks as much as they could to erode them as much before the first game. And then the ice maker decided, okay, well, I'll use bigger pebble and not nip as much. So what happens is that makes the ice heavier but straighter. So the first draw of the players started at about seven, seven and a half feet of curl with about 13 seconds hog to hog. So a little heavier because it's about 14 and a half, even up to 15 is the speed of the ice. Let's just say 14 and a half. So it was 13 seconds and it's seven feet per second. So it was about 11 feet heavier, the ice, than normal, but it was curling about seven feet. So that's about from where the boards, almost to the boards to draw the button to start the event. But even at the end, you were still getting four and a half, five feet of curl and, you know, 14, eight, 14, nine hog to hog. So, but anyway, just to explain that you, the ice makers can kind of 
manipulate what the ice will do with pebble and scraping patterns, and, and that's nothing to do with the rock. So it's kind of a combination of both the rocks and ice conditions to decide what the conditions will be at the, the actual event. The other thing that's really important for people to understand is that surface temperature has a great deal to do with this as well. And that's why years ago, being the 80s, when problems first started to happen with rocks curling in arenas, because in those days, uh, there was a lot of fear and the temperature of the surface was driven down to probably about 21, 22 degrees versus a curling club, which is probably maybe 27, 28. So there's uh, quite a few degrees difference in surface temperature, which means how hard the ice is. And uh, on those harder ice surfaces, without this is where the sandpapering and the stones come into play. With a harder ice surface, without uh, doing something to manipulate the surface, everything's going to go pretty straight. Uh, whereas in a curling club where the surface is a little softer, there's probably some curl. So, well, in fact, as Kevin says, the rocks have a lot to do with it, but the ice does as well. Give us a wrap on that, Kev. Yeah, you know, I just want to talk about this week with Women's Worlds coming up. And, of course, the Grand Slam group like lots of curl, lots of finish, you know, a huge amount of curl. Worlds, the ice makers, uh, cannot have more than, with a soft release, five feet of curl. So with, say, Carrie Anderson's delivery, uh, somewhere around edge of eight, four feet of curl uh, will be all that's allowed this week because Worlds mandates the ice maker on his, on the contract that they cannot have any more curl than that. So this week will be straighter than the players uh, was last week. Uh, if I told you this guest of ours is the first curler in history, the first curler in history to hold titles simultaneously for the European Championship, the World Mixed Doubles, and Olympic Gold, I'd be talking about Anna Hasselborn. Coming up. Okay, Kevin, uh, you haven't disappointed again. You're like the greatest agent in the world, Martin, okay? The guests <laughs> that you're bringing to this show are getting better and better and better all the time. And uh, this week is no exception, and we're very pleased to be joined by one of the greatest curlers in the world, if not the greatest women's curler in the world, Anna Hasselborg. How are you, Anna? You're there? Hi, I'm here. Thanks for having me. It's fun to be here. Usually I hear a knock at the door, but you came right in. Welcome to the show, uh, congratulations on an unbelievable career. I was, Kevin and I were talking today uh, a little bit, and uh, you come from a long line of curlers. You're, I love your stats. You were the first curler in history and are to hold uh, these titles at the same time, the European Championship, the World Mixed Doubles, and the Olympic Gold. And you'll be happy to know, Anna, that all of the guests that we've had on the show, okay, we give them very good luck and very good karma, because all you're missing is the world title. Yes. And and now that you're on the show, you may be in great shape to do this. So <laughs> tell us, first of all, Anna, what's happening? Uh, um, you know, obviously, this is the week of the worlds. Can you give us an update on, we've had sketchy reports, you know, that are coming in about it. What do you know? Uh, as far as we know right now is that we are safe here at the, the Four Points. Uh, so the cases that have been detected is at the quarantine hotel for the teams that weren't at the slams. So the teams that were coming in, international teams. And from what I've heard, I think uh, they found it. And since they were in quarantine, it should also be very isolated. So right now I'm just focused on doing whatever uh, we need and what I need to do as a team to prepare for the Worlds because there's no doubt in my mind that we are going to play uh, on Friday. You have some history with Kevin Martin, I found out. <laughs> um, are you 31? I'm looking 1989. You're, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I guess back in 08 or 09, which nobody knows, uh, they will shortly, that you spent almost a couple of years here in Edmonton with the Martin family, didn't you? Tell us why you were here and what, what happened in those days. So it was me and Agnes in, uh, it was 09 when we were there for half a year. Uh, so me and Agnes just wanted to go somewhere to be better at English and to do something fun after we graduated. And and we wanted to go somewhere where we could also curl. Uh, and uh, obviously Edmonton is like a curling mecca. Yes. So we, we went there and uh, we got to know uh, Karik Martin, uh, Kevin's son. Uh, so <laughs> I have been partying uh, in Kevin's <laughs> there house. There we go. 
<laughs> I have. I think he might have been a little bit upset with us after that. So then I try to avoid him a little bit. But <laughs> I wasn't I up. Know. I don't think I was upset. Right? Okay. I think someone dropped a pizza in the hot tub. <laughs> I tried to just forget about that. <laughs> a pizza in the hot tub. That's a first. No, that's a first. I've heard that. So you were the partier and not Kevin. <laughs> yeah. No, it was his son. Me and Agnes were totally innocent. Does all that make sense, Kevin? Is that all adding up? Well, the pizza part sure does. <laughs> yeah, it's still coming out of the pumps. <laughs> Pepperoni flying out of the jets in the hot tub. <laughs> no, but we had the best time. We were there in Edmonton and um, we practiced in the Savile Center uh, and uh, we worked at actually the Granite Club. Uh, worked in a bar there so we were surrounded uh, by curlers in a curling rink and uh, practicing every day and just uh, taking everything in it was uh, an, just a great experience who taught you to curl back then who was coaching you or teaching you then um that is a good question but uh, in sweden uh, we kind of learn how to get really good at practicing each other so uh, I've always been like when I was brought up I was uh, my dad was my coach so he was my coach for many many years and he was at the world juniors that we won in 2010 as well but like our curling academy and the way he has been coaching me too is that you should be your own best trainer and your teammates are the best trainers that you have so basically me and Agnes practice uh, each other all the time and and of course I had my dad when we got back home but uh, that's a Swedish way to do it <laughs> I didn't realize this till today I forgot I someone did tell me but I forgot how did you come into contact and how did you get this relationship starting with Wayne Mada with your team now so we were talking about we were going to play the skins at uh, the Elite 10 to see how many, oh, it was uh, 2019. And we had never played the skins before. And we were talking like, who is the best at skins all time? And uh, obviously, Wayne Medal. <laughs> and uh, we just uh, reached out to Sherry Medal because we know her and asked for Wayne's contact information. And then we reached out to Wayne and said, uh, we need to win the Elite 10 because we want to qualify for our Europeans uh, and the world ranking was the um, qualification system. So we couldn't just like waste a Grand Slam just because we didn't know how to play skins. So we met up with Wayne. We had uh, a practice where we played skins and uh, I just loved skins. And we actually won our first slam with him then. Uh, and that was the skins. What's he like as a coach? Because he can be unpredictable, you know, ever, uh, Wayne. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, he is, uh, he's amazing. Uh, he challenged us a lot. And I call myself like a big curling nerd. And Wayne is too. And uh, he always is up for speaking curling. And he challenged me all the time with tactics. And uh, also very good at telling us as a team to believe in ourselves and and stuff like that. So no, he's a, he's such a great guy and he's amazing and he fits right into the team. Let's get back into, I guess, the curling nerd part <laughs> because uh, <laughs> um, one of the uh, evenings when you guys were having fun at, at our house, the first time I met you was at the top of the stairs uh, in our kitchen. <laughs> and um, I don't know if you remember what you said to me. Uh, I do. <laughs> Do you recall what no, you I said? Because I asked no. you, I didn't know you yet at that point. And I said, like, well, what are you doing? And like, obviously I could tell you weren't local because of how you're talking. Mm -hmm. I said, well, like, where are you from? And what, what are you doing in, in Canada? In my house. <laughs> I, in my house. Yeah, no, I wasn't worried about that part. The car could look after that. But you said, uh, I'm here. I'm here from Sweden. And I'm here to get very good at curling. <laughs> That's what you said to me. Yeah. I said, wow, okay, well, you're probably in a good spot to do that. I think that's exactly what I said. And anyway, oh, another person, though, uh, that we have, we've left out of the fray that evening was Colin Hodgson. We don't want to let him off the hook. He was with you guys that <laughs> night. Yeah. Because I think, wasn't that the night that uh, it was really cold out and there was snow and he ran across the park to the sidewalk on the other side in his bare feet out of the hot tub and right through the snow banks. 
But then he didn't realize by the time he got back to the hot tub, he had lost most of his skin off the bottom of both of his feet. <laughs> and, 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 you know, we, we, we have to be fair about these things. We have to make sure that, you know, Colin gets his fair share here of the evening. Uh, <laughs> oh, I never thought this evening was going to be um, publicly announced. But, well, I was, we were young. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, for you guys. <laughs> I want to move into your house, Kevin. It sounds like it sounds like the thing could blow up. It's beautiful. Oh. Well, you know, after, uh, you know, Clark uh, moves out, gets married and all that stuff, moves out. And Sean and I, we're not, we don't order much pizza, but we actually ordered pizza one evening. And there's no big deal. So I order pizza and... And our address is in there, well, no doubt, because you guys ordered so much pizza all the time. So it was in the, the company's directory. No no problem, Mr. Martin. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll bring your pizza over. And so good, good, good. About an hour, hour and a quarter later, we don't have any pizza yet. I'm going, what the heck? So I phoned the company and uh, I said, you know, what's going on? You haven't got the pizza yet. He goes, well, you weren't at the door. I said, I'm sitting right in the living room. I, I'm only 10 feet from the door. What, what are you talking about? Well, we don't go in the front door. We go down the hill and into the back door beside the hot tub. <laughs> they, they didn't even know we had a front door. The, the, the delivery guy had never been to our front door. He walks through the backyard into the uh, the bottom. But, of course, no kids down there anymore. Anyway, Anna, uh, thank you very much for coming on our show. And uh, this is uh, just terrific stuff. And But, you know, I, I was talking to Karak earlier today about this. And... He just thinks it's really cool that you and, and Agnes, like, you know, you, you look at the globe, like you're in Sweden and you're one of the top young curlers and you want to get better at our sport. And you look at the whole globe and you go, you know what? We Let's go to Edmonton. <laughs> uh, I'd like to hear uh, your, your thoughts with Agnes, because that's a big move for a kid who's 19 years old to go, I'm going to go all the way around the world with a buddy of mine and we're going to work at a curling rink and then we're going to and, and get good at curling. Like that, that's a wild <laughs> at that age, like a uh, way to look at life, I guess. Is that, is that kind of your personality? Yes, for sure. And absolutely. When Agnes is involved, <laughs> me and Agnes, has, uh, we have this bond uh, together that uh, when we get our heads together, it feels like nothing is impossible. And it's been like that since we've, We've been besties since we were 10 years old and uh, I've played with her all my life and she's such a like a yes sayer. She never says no. She's always like, let's do it. Let's do it. And you could probably see that uh, when she's curling too and watch for that. If I, if I ever is uncertain of something, uh, she just look at me and she's like, yeah, you got it. And I just, just throw it really hard or something like that. <laughs> uh, so I think that is definitely a part of our personalities together. And, um, like a big part of why we ended up in Edmonton was because of you, Kevin. Uh, we uh, we knew of you and we knew of all the great curlers coming from Alberta, especially, and that Edmonton uh, had the Savile Center. So it was just, uh, I didn't think about it much. It just felt very natural to us to do it. It was just like, yeah, let's go to Edmonton. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what we did. And uh, we had a junior team that uh, actually came over to Canada uh, to curl with us in a bonspiel in London. So we flew over to Ontario and played there. And then we went back for the Swedish Championship and won that. And then later in March, we played the World Juniors uh, and won that too. So, and won, yes. Yeah, so it was, uh, I, I guess it was a very good um, plan for us. We really loved uh what we were doing and we and that is important in order to reach success i think to believe in what you're doing and have fun so anna let's talk a bit about curling in sweden yeah sure and uh, we had nicholas on a couple of weeks ago and we did talk a bit about men's curling and curling overall in sweden but let's talk a bit about women's curling so you're currently number one in the world which means without question you're probably the best women's team in sweden but what's behind you have you got any other teams coming up that are going to be potentially in the circle going forward what about the younger players? How is that all sitting? Yeah, actually, like on the women's side, we're, we're for being a small country, we're in pretty good shape. We have a team Vrano. It's really, really good and uh, promising team. They have won the World Juniors and they have won Silver too and won the University Games. And they are ranked just outside uh, top 15 now. But uh, last year they were on the Grand Slam series uh, full season almost. So they are a really good team and 
actually like just having them on all the grand slams is uh, one of the big reasons i think we are pushing ourselves too to get better because we actually really feel that they are just uh, chasing us all the time so it's a big big part of us wanting to be better for sure and then after them uh, we actually have a very young team uh, who's almost just like they i think they're 14 and 15 but they are so talented and they're from our club too so we actually all the swedish women's teams that are they're coming up from our club so that says a lot which is very cool so i hope that they stick around and uh, stick around those uh, challenging years which usually like uh, 14 to 18 are but i think the women's side looks pretty promising even though we don't have like a huge amount of curlers but we have some few very dedicated players that are ready to do the job great sounds like things are pretty good for the future what about mixed doubles you are a world mixed doubles champion in 2019 are you going to pursue that again for the 2022 olympics or what are your plans for mixed doubles going forward so I gotta start with saying that I love playing mixed doubles. It's uh, having I having so much fun when I play it, and me and Oscar are having a great dynamic. But uh, for us as a team, we decided uh, coming into this season that uh, our goal was to be at the Olympics with the team, and uh, we don't think that we can do them both because pre-camp and team dynamics is so important for us and uh, we already have a busy schedule and the, the Swedish way of doing it was that we had a amount of we had to play uh, mixed doubles competitions uh, the same seasons and stuff like that and and uh, since the mixed doubles is before team Olympics you would have to miss pre-camping with your team and you will have to you're already staying within the olympic village when your team get in and you have already played a whole olympics and then you have to low uh, start all over again and we thought that the best for our team uh, and not saying this is the correct thing for every team but for our team the best thing was to not try to do it both. So this year uh, I have stepped off the mixed doubles and uh, I'm only focusing on my team. So Oscar is playing with Almeida de Val. Okay, so Oscar is playing mixed doubles then as well? Yes, so Team Edin thought they could double. So they all are trying to make the Olympics, but uh, we are not. I don't know how much curling you did leading into these uh, into the Grand Slams. Unpredictably, it was a tough goal for you during the Humpties. Was it something you were concerned about? Did you come up against a bunch of good teams, or was it some rust uh, that you guys had to work off? Because I know great teams, they, they know why they win, and they know why they lose sometimes too. So talk about that. Uh, yeah, coming into the Champions Cup, I just thought that we, uh, as a team, we couldn't just get off the training mode that we have been having we we didn't get the fire burning we didn't get the, it was almost like we thought there was that we were practicing if thought that you can just like oh I, I slid a little bit tight and then okay could you throw that rock down again i could i could throw it again but you can't because it's competition and we didn't get that competition mode um and we didn't get the communication going as we wanted which is a huge part of our team uh, but we picked every loss down to pieces and uh, and yes, and I think we really turned that thing around. So what I was saying to the team was that I think it shows that we are even a stronger team uh, to be going 0-4, just reload a couple of days and then play really, really great the week after. So I think that it gave us even more uh, believe in ourselves, I think. Uh, that rather than just like sliding through the first competition and maybe get a win that we didn't deserve now it was just more that okay we need to really be on our toes and we need to do this and this and this so we take a lot of great things from that and i th i actually think it was uh, for the best thing coming into the world that we have this experience of the champions cup let's talk a bit about the game today as it is it seems it's becoming more difficult to score at the top level Almost if someone scores two in the first stand, all of a sudden, in many cases, it seems as if the game might be over. The five rock rule was introduced at the Humpty's Cup. It was decided that a no-tick zone would be established. So from your point of view, do you think scoring is a problem going forward? And what might the solution be, in your opinion, if in fact you think it is? I don't think scoring is a problem. <laughs> Good, you take them on, Anna. We need to drink more now. Okay. <laughs> 
I don't think scoring is a problem. Um, there's so many great seconds uh, nowadays, so you can always open the middle up, and uh, you can uh, you only need one guard to score two. Uh, and one, and with a five rock rule, if everyone makes their shots, you should have uh, two. So I don't think that is a problem. Uh, I think it's fun to play the no tick zone uh, rule. It uh, it changes our game a little bit, but. I'm up for trying new things and I love I love the Grand Slam for being out there and really do that. So I'm not like leaning towards any camp, but I still I love the feeling of control too. Um, we call ourselves control freaks. Uh, that is uh, <laughs> that is something Wayne talks about a lot. So I kind of like the tick zone too, because I think if you have earned your right of having a tied game and hammer coming home you you kind of earn the right to control that game but in a way if you would have a no tick zone rule then you just have to adapt and have another kind of control freak maybe you will have to make sure that you have a two-point lead and or something that would help you <laughs> so you just have to adapt i I, just, I love playing with both but as it is now i i love the feeling of control and i love the feeling of um, being able to keep the middle open if I want to. So from your point of view, you don't think that no tick zone uh, idea is something that should be incorporated, that it's maybe something to play with, but nothing that should be permanent? Is your thought? Mm, haven't thought about it like a lot. I, I'm not uh, leaning towards any camp. Like if one would say like, uh, we're going to do this, I would say, oh, let's, let's do it. But if someone said, we don't want it, I... Like I, I wouldn't mind either way, but right now I love the game as it is right now. I like to be able to do the ticks, but in a couple of years or just like a couple of seasons, I have no problem in adapting. I love the five, like really, really love the five guard zone. Uh, so um, yeah, sorry for not like uh, saying a clear answer here, but <laughs> I think there's positives on both sides, but I love the game as it is right now too. There's an interesting uh, stat uh, to do with the no-tick zone in uh, in women's curling, not with the, the no-tick zone. Let's just go to normal curling. It's, uh, you know, around the 70 to 75% chance you will win going home with the hammer. At the Champions Cup, there was actually 10 times where teams would come home uh, tied up with the hammer, and with the no-tick zone, they scored 10 out of 10, mm. 100% with the no-tick zone. So that's a really interesting thing when it comes to strategy with women's curling, not not men's. Men's was way different. Mm. But women's curling, because the ladies' teams didn't try the tick shot because you weren't allowed to, mm. you went into the top four foot, the other team throws a second guard, you own the eight foot and the four foot, and no team stole, not one. So that was a very, very interesting stat. So I kind of agree with you in the women's curling. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be necessary. <laughs> it just doesn't seem... Like it does. I do want to get your thoughts on on the because uh, being from Sweden and obviously you have to travel a lot to get in top competition. You've become very very good at a very young age, and I just would like to hear your thoughts on the on where you think the Grand Slam of curling events have helped uh, your team in its growth. Because without the Grand Slams and being able to play the best teams all the time, that could affect your ability to get so good so quick. I don't even know where to start of uh, saying how much the Grand Slam have done for our team and for uh, it's uh, I would say it's everything like before. Uh, let's just say how we started this team. We started in 2015-16 that season uh, and uh, our number one goal was to get to the top 15 and uh, to qualify us ourselves to the Europeans. And uh, actually, it, in order to do that, we had to have a little bit of luck and we had to wa win everything that we played. And then we and we won uh, and we qualify in a couple of stuff and we actually ended up in uh, spot number 15. And uh, that is usually, like usually it's only the top 14 that goes to the Grand Slams. Uh, but we were so eager to get into the Masters, so I actually emailed Pierre Charette <laughs> saying that, <laughs> okay. well, we're, going, uh, we're playing in Alberta, and Sweden is blue and yellow, right? So just make our, uh, us the sponsor pick. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Did he do that? Uh, 
<laughs> they decided to do that because there were so many uh, Albertan team in the slam anyway. So that's how we went into the Masters. And then we went 4-0 and we went to the semi losing to uh, Rachel. So for us, the slams has been like one of the biggest things of becoming uh, a team that... Uh, because before that we had never play on, uh, played on arena ice. Uh, so like all the time we went out on the slams, that was a learning experience just to learn how like the frost uh, came in from the side and how it affected when uh, when people got into the stands and it was raining outside and stuff like that. So the slams has has taught us so, so many things that we were able to put into place into the Olympics in 2018. So uh, I'm very, very grateful for being able to be here and for the crowd that welcome us all the time as a hometown team sometimes. We feel so very welcome here. So it's very cool. I'm very thankful for that. So yeah, so you've won five slams and you won three in a row, which is of course, there's a very short list of teams that have won three in a row in, in the Grand Slam. And you've won the Olympic gold, which is fantastic, in Pyeongchang. I had the opportunity to call that game, which is great. Uh, but a world championship is not in your, in your quiver yet. So I guess I'd like to hear your thoughts on, for myself, when I hadn't won, I've won every, almost most things, but I hadn't won a world. Uh, it was almost on my mind all the time. I guess I'd like to get into your mind as to how often do you think about not having that world title yet? In four-person curling, obviously. Yes, yes. It's obviously, it's on our mind. But then again, I think I always love to put myself in a position where you are able to reach your goal. So, like, just being in a final <laughs> makes sure that you are able to reach that goal, obviously. So, and there's so many great women's teams right now. Uh, just look at this field right now. It's crazy how many good teams there are. So my number one thing and the number one thing for our team is to put ourselves in a position where we really can win. So that, that goes for everything, just that playing great during the week and, and focusing on every little detail. And I want to win the gold so very much, but I also so much want to put myself in a position where I can win the gold. Does that make sense? Do you understand what I mean? <laughs> so when we got our team together with Johnny, Moe and, and Mark and Ben, our goals, so this is very funny that you say it that way, and yes, it makes perfect sense. So our goal as a team was to get to as many finals as we could so that we could learn to win. Exactly. That's what our goal was. And that's pretty much, I think that's what you just said to me. Yes, yeah. So that's amazing. Uh, yeah, well, good, good for you. And it worked pretty good for us. So I hope yeah. it works the same. Yeah, no, I really hope so too. It's amazing. <laughs> that, that was fun. <laughs> you put it in better English. I'm sorry for rambling sometimes, but. <laughs> and that's not good. And if I've got the good English, that ain't great. <laughs> and listen, Anna, I've have to make sense of Kevin and Warren all day. So listen, you're making a lot of sense. Okay. They can be Thank very difficult. That, Anna, you're on the verge of becoming a champion uh, in the world. And that would mean that the, uh, Sweden holds both titles, the men and the women's in worlds, which would be remarkable. Before I ask you what, to give us a sense of what, what it's like curling in Sweden and is it, you know, what, what it's like with fans and spectators and how much pressure is on you. Nick Sedin has won the worlds uh, in a COVID situation. Have you had many discussions with him and got advice from him about how to do it? Yes and no, but we are very close friends and just by watching them play, we we pick up on so many things because we have known each other on such a long time. We all have been in school together and uh, Nick has played with my brother. And so like we, we are a close group. Um, mm -hmm. No, but yes, I'm, I'm so impressed by the way that they, they, they were so patient, patient during the, during the worlds. They just took one game at a time and it really looked like they were learning from every game. So I, uh, that is something uh, I really looking forward to be able to do as good as they did uh, for sure. Put that learning mode on and uh, and the patience, because that's something you need to have uh, in a long competition. You were playing Canada in the first game of the Women's Worlds, which if I look at things right now, I would think that Canada and Sweden are certainly two of the 
leading contenders. How do you feel about playing them the first game? Would you prefer it to be a little later, or are you looking forward to that? I mean, you just played them a couple of days ago, and you went to an extra end, so it was a great game. What's your feelings about that? Mm, To be honest, uh, like, um, how to say this in in a weird way? Okay, like, I don't care. (laughs) I don't don't care if I play them the first. It doesn't matter. (laughs) That's not weird. No, no, that was really clear. That was clear. (laughs) Every time you get the chance to play a great team, it doesn't matter if it's in the first game, in the last game, in the second game, in the tenth game. It's just... uh, you can never control the schedule. So the schedule is what it is. And I'm just looking forward to playing many great teams. We know who some of those great teams are. They were in the slam and in uh, our leading in the world. Who that wasn't around in the last couple of weeks might you be looking to as having uh, contender possibilities? Uh, so both uh, Korea and uh, Japan uh, will change their slams into another team, which are uh, we are no uh, stranger of them. It was it's Joshimura and uh, Kim, and uh, both really really great teams. Uh, the journey that Kim has done is just incredible with everything that they have gone through, and I'm sure they have come out stronger uh, with everything that happened to them. So looking forward to see them again and um, play them again, like such a great team. Then we have uh, a couple of great teams from um, from Europe that uh, is also a little bit in the shadows, but could definitely shake up some of the top teams too, like uh, Germany and Czech Republic. Uh, looking forward to play them all actually. How are you allowed to spend your time now? Give us an update uh, of, of what happens when you leave the ice. What are the protocols and what are the restrictions and how are you guys managing that as a team? So first of all, I want to say that I'm so impressed by how everything Curling Canada, the World Curling Federation and the Grand Slam team has made this bubble one of the closest things to normality that we have been through in a long time. Uh, it is certainly different uh, with everything, with the, the almost daily testes, uh, testing and the masks and the isolation, but still when it, when it comes to curling, everything feels very normal. Uh, and uh, I'm one of the lucky ones that was able to bring Mira and my husband Matthias here. So the days runs very fast because she is yeah. trying to learn how to walk. Right. And so, and as I said just the other day, I, I feel so happy actually just being able to be here. We are allowed to hang with our team. So actually we're trying just to make this as normal as we can. So just before this interview, we had uh, we had a training uh, training session together. Uh, in different rooms by Zoom, and uh, then we kind of create your own normal life in here. And I think as a group, we are very good at doing that. So I'm happy to be here with my team because they are the best. <laughs> Such a great individuals, everyone. Yeah, before before we do let you go in, thank you for taking so much time. But I've got to say, uh, Mira, does, does, like she's got to be the happiest kid I've ever seen. Like she's always smiling and always jumping and and laughing and giggling and like we we put her on on uh, on television a lot over the last couple of weeks and every time. So just what a terrific little uh, little girl. Yes, I think she loves seeing other people. <laughs> it's been uh, she's tired of mom and dad, and now she gets out in the world and gets to see other people. She's uh, so happy about that. <laughs> Anna, thanks a lot. Teach me a Swedish cheer. If I was going to cheer for you, what am what am I yelling? What would I yell from the stands? You would say "Heya Sverige." Heya Sverige. <laughs> let's go Sweden, right? Yeah, let's go. Yeah, exactly. So you go "Heya Sverige." That's what I want to hear from you. Hey, Yasvadia. Oh, perfect. Perfect. You nailed it. <laughs> there we go. Well, hey, Yasvadia. You go, Anna. Thanks a lot for doing this. Uh, congratulations on a, on a great career. Congratulations on, the, on Mira. And uh, good luck to you and the team the rest of the way. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Anna. Come on, Kev, you have to let your hair down a little bit. It sounded like I were- didn't know you guys spilled pizza in my hot tub. That's that, that is the first time I've heard that. 
So Agnes, I hope she won't kill me when I say that we dropped the pizza in the hot tub. She just got in now, uh, so I will have to say that I accidentally spilled that, saying that we did it. <laughs> That's funny. Great job, Anna. She says from the other room now, she's like, no worries. <laughs> But I blame everything on Agnes. She's uh, always up to no good. She always pushed me to do bad stuff. <laughs> I want to hang out with Agnes. I think I want to hang out with Agnes. She sounds like Everyone, a lot of fun. Anyone that gets to hang out with Agnes is, uh, is, uh, has a pleasure. Anna, you have to blame it on Corrick. Yeah, now she says, obviously we're blaming it on Corrick and, and Colin. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Uh. Well, there we go. I love this girl. I love this girl, Anna Hasselborg, of course, representing Sweden, uh, coming up in the uh, women's worlds. But uh, two things. First, you, Hanson. You want to change the scoring. She doesn't. Did that surprise you, Warren, her answer? <laughs> I didn't suggest we're changing the scoring. I just asked her if she thought we should. Don't um, yell at me. She's, she's <laughs> we're just trying to get people's opinions. I, I think it was interesting to see what she thought as far as the scoring situation is. And, I, and, it, and there's mixed feelings about it. So we understand that. Kevin, I can imagine someone uh, back in the day when they jumped in your hot tub after they had one going, wow, it smells like an extra large double pepperoni <laughs> mushroom and green pepper in here. <laughs> uh, she's the real deal, Kevin. Uh, what, a, what a treat. Oh yeah, you know, and when, when I, I didn't know, I didn't know uh, who who she like. Obviously, she hadn't won all her stuff yet back then, but I do remember talking to her and 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 at the st top of the stairs, and the, just her eyes were dancing, saying how good she was going to be at curling, and uh, she was right. She was absolutely correct, uh, arguably the best in the business. So uh, good for her, and uh, yeah, their their team is amazing. I think Mad Wayne Madaw has brought a lot to the table as well since uh, Wayne has joined them they have won well five slams um, an Olympic gold and uh, and countless amount of, of different events so you know we sure wish him well this week coming up so Kevin uh, you would say your opinion Kevin Martin she's the best curler in the world or arguably well, right up there right now in this time it's really hard to not put Carrie Anderson in that that group as well but it's a very small group and it's probably just the two of them. <laughs> but Carrie is unreal right now too. And, and so is Anna. So um, I don't think it would be fair to, to not include them both being at the top of the game right now on the women's side. Warren, what do you got? Your prediction here for the women's world. Give us a little cap of what you think is going to happen. Well, I think without question, Canada, Switzerland, and Sweden, who we've watched the last couple of weeks, all three of those teams are going to be right near the top of the ladder, I think, without question. A few other teams in there that could be there. One that I think didn't do very well the last couple of weeks that I think could do well in the women's worlds, and that's the United States. I watched Tabitha Peterson win the U.S. Nationals in 2020, and they were absolutely outstanding. And I think that they didn't uh, show their true colors in the last couple of weeks. I think uh, a number of other teams could also be in there. I think another team did do very well last week was Scotland, even Muirhead. And uh, I think she'll probably be pr very much in the running when things uh, start to happen in the next week as well. So those are kind of teams I think that uh, are the ones to watch. Uh, Kevin, you've had the advantage uh, over all of us of calling a bunch of games with a bunch of different countries. Uh, you're going to do it again. You've seen a bunch of these other teams, Kev. What do you think is going to happen coming into the world? Yeah, you know, I don't know how many games. Somebody that really impresses me is Eun-Jun Kim out of, out of uh, South Korea. Um, she was not at the slams. It was Minji Kim. So I just don't know how many games they've been able to play and how much practice they've been able to do. I just don't know that. Um, but they've always impressed me. I, I can't imagine how Sweden wouldn't be close. And I can't imagine the way Carrie Anderson, but Vel Sweeting shot a hundred percent her last game. Their front end has been amazing. So how Canada can't be close in the end. I can't see that uh, either. So that's kind of, in my opinion, my top three. Canada, Sweden, and uh, South Korea. If Unjin Kim and her team have been able to practice and play enough, and I and I just simply don't know the answer to that. Who are you waiting for, Kevin, to make sure everything's a go? Well, I, I think everything's a go. I haven't. Uh, there's a lady in charge here, Carla, who's just excellent, um, and I haven't talked to her yet. I had a, a test because I left the bubble to go see Dax, uh, my my new grandson. Uh, the last couple of days, uh, Kalisha had Dax April first, and I hadn't got to meet him yet. So I was able to leave the bubble here for about thirty six hours to go see him. And so I just got back, and I just got tested a few hours ago. This is, of course, we tape on Tuesdays. The show comes out Thursdays. 
Uh, I'll get tested uh, again tomorrow. I will see Carla at that point, and I'll be able to f- learn from her if there is anything. But from what I've heard, um, if anybody's quarantining, that's just what they're going to have to do, and everybody else will just be playing. I don't foresee any issue at all. When you enter the bubble, like today, when I when I got back to the hotel to enter the bubble, you you don't see anyone. You're only allowed to grab a key uh, for your room, and then you go into your room for two and a half days. And then you can't get out of your room at all, not to get ice, not for any reason, for two and a half days until your second negative test has come in. It's really safe. Like it, it they, they've done a, just a great job. I can't sit in one chair for 10 minutes. I don't know how I'd ever be able to do that. Anyway, great job, boys. Thanks a lot uh, to Rod Paulson. We want to thank his gang for uh, in-house strategies for all the great work on social media and marketing along with our team at Sportsnet. Amal, thank you very much. Producer Warren, you're a script writer now too, okay, as well as a uh, producer. Uh, and we want to thank Jonathan Brazo who's handling a bunch of the social media stuff for Sportsnet. Thank you, everybody, for all your emails and all your input. We really appreciate it. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Inside Crew. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Jim. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.